0: In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome to this week's edition of Moving Forward. I am your host, Krista Nepper, and today my guest is Todd Mersch. Todd, thank you first and foremost for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: And, you know, I'm trying something a little bit new. So rather than me introducing you and, you know, going through your credentials, I'm going to actually have you introduce yourself to our audience today. So what do you do for a living and what is your title?
1: Uh, You know, like this is one of the, main misnomers in in today's world is that introducing yourself is an easy thing to do, but (laughs) I'll I'll get get through it as the the first to go here. So like you said, my name's Todd Mersch. I'm co-founder and executive vice president of sales and marketing at XLR. XLR is a a startup here in the San Diego area. You know, my background's pretty, pretty diverse. I started out as uh, an engineer, uh, did that for a while. Got into uh, uh, product management, and then uh, was running a business for a while as part of a, a larger company, and decided to take the leap and uh, and do some something different.
0: So, what attracted you to being an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, like uh, like I said before, I'd been in the same business for about a decade, um, and, and kind of worked my way up where I was, um, you know, the general manager for a business on an executive team at uh, a smaller, mid-sized kind of public company, and you know, i kind of gotten to the point where that business had been around for. 20 years or something. Uh, I hadn't been doing it for 20, but it had been around. So it had yeah. its inherent constraints associated with that, whether it be, um, you know, related to the customers, you know, the outward t- sort of thing or the the inward side of stuff with being kind of a smaller company within a much larger entity. So it's was, it was starting to get a little frustrating, a little repetitive um, and, uh, you know, not as exciting as kind of building something from scratch. And even where I was before, I had an opportunity to potentially um, kind of take on a new strategy. So uh, I was kind of hankering for that, that situation where I could, um, could not just kind of be nurturing and doing incremental change, but actually taking something from, um, in a lot of ways, that, that didn't have a whole lot wrapped around it and being able to kind of create everything from, uh, from branding and, and marketing side of things to the strategic and, and everything in between.
0: So it sounds like you have a lot of value on autonomy. Would that be a correct s- statement?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think autonomy is helpful. I mean, I think it, 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 there's degrees of freedom are, are yeah. just are, are, are exciting. You know, they're, they're concerning, right? You can right. You have that with the excitement comes sort of the, the concern at times. But you have when you have that opportunity, you can kind of uh, chart out your own strategy. It's really on you to execute against that. Um, and you have the freedom to kind of uh, could, to make changes you want to. I think one of the things that people don't realize when they get into entrepreneurship or into sort of the same sort of situation I'm in now is that um, – it's never a hundred percent autonomous.
0: Yeah. That's a (laughs) good point. Yeah.
1: You're always answering to somebody, right. Uh, you know, you always have, whether it be an investor or other stakeholders or, you know, the responsibilities you have to your employees. Um, so you do have a greater degree of freedom, but, uh, don't, uh, you know, the grass isn't that much greener sometimes,
0: Well, and I think, too, it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier before we got on the call. It really being an entrepreneur, I think it depends on what you really value, because some people don't value the freedom the way you or I might. But there's always, like you were saying, a dark side of everything. And you're kind of flying without a safety net in this instance, I think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is that. I try not to think about that as much. I'm
0: <laughs> sorry to bring it up.
1: <laughs> well, well, and, there's, and there's the personal aspect of things, but, you know, we're starting to ramp up and grow the company and, and add more employees. And, you know, one of the things that... Um, you know, I thought about when I first started this, like, wouldn't this be great if, you know, just to keep it around for two to three years, being employing a bunch of people and things like that. But the, so it's like, you've created this, this thing that's um, making a difference in your employees' lives and not just your customers. But at the same time, if you don't do well and you make the wrong decision, you, you push the company in the wrong direction. Uh, that's a lot of people that are relying on you. Yeah, Um, so big responsibility,
0: big shoes to fill.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, what were you passionate about, a kid, and and how has that translated into what you do as an adult?
1: You know, it, the thing for me when I was growing up was always uh, doing a lot of different things and and trying to do them as best as possible. It sounds kind of corny, but I was never um, what I'd call a specialist, right? Okay. My like my parents and a lot of credit to my parents for this. They didn't um, see, how he's got he's got a glimmer of talent in soccer so my kid is going to play soccer non-stop and you know if he wants to do something else too bad he's playing soccer they didn't sort of try and push me in that direction which meant that I, I was able to kind of explore a lot of different things um, whether it was you know, I mentioned soccer. I did do that a lot growing up, but I was also in musicals and, and things of that nature. And for me, it was always, I had this sort of inherent desire to be good at it. I wanted to, whether it was school, I, I wanted to get A's, not because my parents paid me to get A's. I just, for some reason was wired to, to always do as good as I could. And, um, you know, I think that was, for me, it was just kind of a fun way to grow up because I got to try tons and tons of different things at the end of the day.
0: That's pretty cool. I think that speaks to your personality as well, because I know for myself, I was really interested in acting as a child and I wanted to excel, but not at anything more than acting. And I really directed myself to do that and do it all the time. So the fact that you were able to disperse your awareness into all these different activities, I think that really speaks to your personality.
1: Yeah. I, I, and it's funny, you kind of, whenever you go through something like this and you're getting asked these types of questions, <laughs> you, you get reflective. And I was trying Great. to think like, you know, what was it, you know, what was it about me at that point in my life that kind of Kind of drove that, and I, you know, you can't really put a, uh, a finger on it. It's just something that's built into you. Yeah, I definitely tried things I didn't excel at. I got crushed at wrestling for an entire year, but <laughs> we but, stuck uh, it out but, through
0: the year, though. It sounds like
1: I did. I did. I, that was another thing. There was no quitting in the Mersh household. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was built in early on as well. That wasn't it wasn't, uh, wasn't going to uh, give up. I think at some point, my mom during that season wanted me to give up because she was. I was getting. <laughs> Getting crushed for the entire season, literally. It's probably
0: hard as a mom to watch. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she was. She was like, "Come on, just, just call Uncle, put your hand up," and <laughs> it, that wasn't happening. So I suffered through it. I at least realized after the season was up, it was sort of you know, if you don't like something, you don't have to do it. Kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah.
0: Very sign true. Up for something, and don't. Follow yeah. Through. Exactly. <laughs> well, of all the things that you do, what would you say that you do best? And I usually need to uh, quantify this and tell people this is where you do get to brag.
1: Oh, I haven't been bragging. I feel like I have <laughs> no, you so haven't. far, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, setting aside what I was just talking about is just kind of the being able to get ingrained with a lot of different things, which is useful. I mean, it's, it's helpful in business uh, and in life, but I think that, you know, communicating and, and, you know, it's such a, again, another cliche, but being able to communicate effectively, not in, in various different forms, right. Whether right. it be in a situation like this, uh, standing on a stage in front of a, Few hundred people, or whatever it happens to be, or sitting in a room with someone one-on-one uh, and communicating, sort of, you know, whether it be on the business side, what our business is trying to accomplish, and building those relationships with folks that uh, that you need to have around to be successful. Uh, I think that for me, I've seen I've seen people struggle with that. I've had really, really good employees who were great. At um, in one-on-one situations, but they couldn't get themselves in a room and communicate the passion that I know they had inside them for what they were doing. And I think for me, that's been one of the things that I've always been been good at. I've always been able to, at every stage in in my life and in my career, uh, to be able to kind of my interest, my passion, what I'm doing comes across uh, in the way that I engage with people and. Uh, and I think to the end, to a to great degree, that's gotten me further in my career than any of the skills I have developed from an engineering perspective, a finance or a business management perspective.
0: Yeah, it's funny the way you answered the previous question about how you, you know, explored many different things because... I don't and maybe I'm you know pigeonholing people and I don't mean to offend anyone but you know when I think of engineers I think of them as very linear thinkers very right brain and I think of communication skills as something you know of somebody more social and more a different type of personality so the fact that you do both and do both well I think that speaks volumes.
1: Yeah, That's pretty funny. When I was going to college uh, and doing college visits for my parents and things like that, it was they would look at me like I was crazy because I wanted to go into engineering school. I was I did better on my verbal SATs. I did better on my AP exams and in, in literature and, and things like that. But I had an interest in, in sort of how things kind of worked and and the math and science side of things, and uh, and I found a program that was perfect for me. That was essentially teaching you to be a consultant, right? As a (laughs) systems engineering degree. So kind of got to use both.
0: Yeah. I wondered how that was going to be. My next question is, you know, with all your communication skills, how did you find engineering and how did you go into it?
1: Yeah, that was part of it. At some point I wanted to be an architect. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. So I did, which, which is similar, right? You're, you're kind of combining the creative with with the tangible, um, but I realized that uh, the architecture was the lowest paid professional degree, and said, so, "Well, what else can I do that's similar?" <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> and, and engineering looked interesting, and and uh, when I was looking at schools, uh, I ended up going to a University of Virginia, which is not necessarily known for their engineering, but they had a few programs that were just top notch. The system of engineering being one of them, um, and and that was a blend of you got through your core engineering curriculum, so you kind of. Got through your core science and calculus and things like that, and then when you got into that program, you had to take nine credits in a humanities. You had to do okay. a, a handful of other things that kind of broadened your, your ability. And we also had to present every week, almost, in the different mm-hmm. classes that we we're in. So it would be a class that was sort of like operations research, where you're doing math modeling and using these these tools to help you make decisions. But we didn't just sit back and say, "Okay, now here's the tool." What the tool said, here's the answer to that problem. We were forced to get in front of the class and present not just what the tool told us, but that that information in the context of the overall challenge that was being uh, being put in front of us. So that that was an amazing opportunity, amazing program. I, I you know, it's like a commercial here for UVA, but <laughs> <Okay>. I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, getting kids in front of people presenting as soon as possible is so important. Um, and you know, some of the, I could tell some of my you know, classmates it was first time for them. And I'm sure for them, that made a huge difference when they got into their their actual jobs at the end of the day.
0: It's so interesting you say that. I was just speaking to someone the other night about how public speaking was the number one fear and that death fell behind public speaking (laughs) as far (laughs) as number one fears. (laughs) which I find so ironic because um, we have to, like you were saying, you know, communication is something we have to do with everyone every day.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of mind-boggling, but you know, getting in front of a group and having the the attention turned on you is is scary and it it doesn't get I mean it gets less scary maybe, you know, or or you know, easier to do, but I still get nervous. I've been doing it for many, many years. I, in high school, sung in front of an entire thousand person auditorium, Right. (laughs) you know, so it's, you'd think I wouldn't get scared, but I get those butterflies in the stomach still. And it's, um, you know, and it it comes down to, to preparing properly and, you know, that the skill side of it is there for sure. But, uh, maybe that's natural and it's a good thing, but, uh, but yeah, I can imagine if you haven't done it, you haven't had that the practice and you haven't done it enough times, it can get, it can be petrifying.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it is. Um, Well, speaking of communication, and I kind of want to segue into leadership. So, of course, being an entrepreneur, running your own company, you need those types of skills. So I wanted to ask for you, what are the characteristics of a good leader and how would you describe the way you lead? Sure.
1: Um, So maybe I'll start with how do I identify a good leader? Yeah. Uh, and then, sort of, how do they get there? So, there was a great, um, someone in my life taught me the concept of legislative authority versus earned authority. You know, and legislative authority is what you see on an org chart. That's the line that connects all the employees below me to me. And they have to do what I say they have to do because that's what the company tells them. You know, earned authority is when you can identify an individual who actually gets groups of people to, to, move in a certain direction without owning their, their jobs, right. Without being responsible for them, um, and, and their careers in the long run. And, you know, it's hard to find those people. And a lot of times those people aren't the ones who are in charge basically. (laughs) So, so if I can see someone that's able to work across the organization and be able to kind of get that going, um, that that's a really big indication obviously but on the on the other side of things you know how do they do that i mean i think it's some of it's the communications side right is being able to um, be direct with people being able to be inclusive though at, at the same mm-hmm. time uh, yeah. in that process so um listening to people's ideas kind of being able to to um you know, when uh, being able to smoothly transition someone from an idea you don't agree with.
0: Right. That's yeah, <laughs> right? that's an art, actually. <laughs> yeah,
1: this an art form. <laughs> so there's there's those sorts of things. kind of getting people on, on board from that perspective. But and then there is all the other stuff. It's the, you know, the integrity and the um, and the lack of agenda, I think, is really important. Ooh,
0: that's I, yeah.
1: A, you know, one of the things that I never really thought about was a skill that I had. Um, or that came across as strongly in, in an organization is that it it always comes across that there isn't I'm not trying to accomplish something beyond what is necessary for our company. Um, so I, I think whether or not that's the case, if you're generally doing things that are not about you, but about what needs to get done and what's best for that situation, whether it be business or otherwise, I think people will tend to follow you.
0: I think that's, well, and it's funny, as you were talking about the earned authority versus legislative authority, um, what came to mind was Michael Scott from the office (laughs) and this kind of, you know, sage on the stage, or at least he thought so, where he had a very different agenda and was not asking the question, what is best for the company and making it not about him. And I guess that's an interesting point, too. So, so often, I think, in American culture and American business, if you do a job well, you are promoted to management, whether or not you have those managerial skills. And it's not a track that we really foster and we really develop in people. Is that something that you have found? And how have you fostered your own managerial skills?
1: Yeah, it's really hard. Um, in, in, uh, I don't know if they've got it nailed other places, but when you are in a company and you do do well, you do end up jamming these people in the management and big companies talk about having the individual contributor track, but you're going to top off, right? Right? It's just at the end of the day, you're not going to be an executive and you shouldn't be an executive if you don't know how to manage and you don't know how to, to lead. Right. So, but what happens is you don't there's no real way to teach those individual contributors who really want to kind of move out of that role into a management tier. And oftentimes, as you mentioned, you just get thrust in. It's yeah. just like, OK, you did great. We want to promote you. So now you go manage a bunch of other people and you have no idea what you're doing. Exactly. So you, you can teach people. Certain skills, right? You can teach them the skills with regards to um, how to give feedback, how to uh, listen attentively to folks and, and kind of the, the sort of the employee development side of things. You can teach people um, uh, skills around communicating effectively. And, and a lot of times all we really teach people is how not to get in trouble. <laughs> for yeah, of yeah it, that's really right? true. And, yeah. And, and, you know, there's certain things that just are innately part of who they are. Right. Not everyone is supposed to be a manager mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You right. know? And that's I guess that's really what, what comes out of the question. And as I think it through is that it's just and, and unfortunately um, and I, I don't know the answer for XLR as we go forward is, you know, how do you nurture those people that um, that aren't in that position? And I think for that, you have to give them opportunities to pursue really interesting work. Yeah, uh, I think that's the only way you can do that um, is is give them opportunities to consistently do things that maybe maybe even if it's in a case where you have someone that's such a rock star that you're willing to let them go do some research in an area that's maybe tangential to what you're doing. You never know what they're going to come up with, type of thing. But um, you got to find a way to nurture that because you need those people too. You don't just don't just need all the people that if you had all managers you wouldn't get anything done, right? So.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Well, starting a business, and I mean just being a human being, we have all (laughs) experienced setbacks and failures. So I wanted to ask you, can you give a story of when you have failed in the past, but yet it changed everything for the better?
1: Yeah, this is always a tough question, too. Um, But the best thing I can think of from that perspective is that you have so many opportunities to to lose business.
0: Right. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and you I
1: didn't feel expect like, you to say
0: that actually. Yeah.
1: You, and and you feel like you're gonna it's the end of the world when you lose business, mm, right? Yeah. And it's so easy to get caught up in trying to win. Right. And and we all wanna win. Winning feels good. And even <laughs> right. and right, there's that's just it is it, it is, does. Yeah, it's it, just it a fact. Yeah. It wouldn't do you wouldn't do these types of things if you didn't if that wasn't true. But you can get so caught up in that when and make really, really bad decisions. Um, and even if it's obvious that it's not good business, um, you could actually rationalize I've got, I should have a poster with all the rationalizations, the class will make it up in volume or (laughs) (laughs) this, this customer is strategic or it's a lost leader. So there was, um, there's been a few, many opportunities in that I have lost in business trying to win a new customer that I look back and say, you know, if we had won that, that would have been really, really bad for us. You know, that, that yeah, that would have taken us in a completely opposite direction. And there's a handful of opportunities that we won, um, that I, that, that I made the decision to either take it certain commercial level or accept to do a certain amount of work that we would not plan to do or whatever it was that negatively impacted the business for a pretty long period of time. So I, I think, um, you know, failing sometimes can be a blessing in disguise. And what you have to do is you have to step back and then assess and look back and say, okay, when we, we won that business, it didn't go well. Why did it not go well because of how we won the business, how we executed, what can I learn from that situation on both sides of those, those wins and those, those failures that I can use moving forward. So you don't make the same mistake twice.
0: I love that. I think why is the most important question you can ask of anyone in any situation. And what I like about your answer, too, is just the truth behind it that nothing is stagnant. The only thing that is true or, or real is change itself. And so the sense that if I lose a customer today, it doesn't mean that tomorrow there won't be another opportunity that's presented and there will be an even better chance to grow the business or grow myself.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's so easy to get caught up in the in the, the absolutely need to win. and be
0: fatalistic too.
1: Yeah, we we and it seems like businesses often run on a, a pendulum, right? Where you yeah, you, especially in, your, in in a highly competitive environment, you can go through periods of time where you're uber aggressive and you're trying to win at all costs. And you're saying, look, it's a land grab. If I can win all these customers, I'm going to be able to kind of scale this business one way, shape, or form. But I think you know the thing I've learned from from those scenarios, and like I said, you can you, the pendulum can go the complete opposite direction when you get overly conservative. Right. Is just slowing down. Yeah. You know, and and trying to step back in the moment, um, and and think about it as best you can, setting aside. You know, the passionate employed, getting passionately employed by the salespeople or or whoever is kind of driving that that fervor, kind of taking a step back and and trying to think through in a
0: more rational way. Yeah, shifting your perspective can really uh, just change everything. Absolutely. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. What has limited you in the past and how did you break through that limitation?
1: I have never, and to this day, I'm still not keen on conflict. Okay. Uh, and which being in that's a – sales and marketing role, you're engaged in a lot of conflict from time right. to time, Good especially point. on the, you know, the customer side of things and things like that. But even in management and, and leadership side, you've got conflict with employees, either between yourself and other employees or between employees and, and things of that nature. It's just never been uh, an area where I am inherently comfortable. Okay. You know, there's people who are un- un- you know, thrive on that in an unhealthy way. There's folks right. who, um, who are generally comfortable. And then there's me, (laughs) who doesn't really like it at all.
0: So how do you manage it then?
1: I I think the best thing that you can do uh, is kind of the two Ps, preparation and practice. It's just, you know, if I'm to associate, so one of the areas I always wanted to get better at is negotiation. I always wanted to get better at, at doing that. And there's a ton of discomfort that comes with that. And you're constantly negotiating, you know, whether it be, with your partners your customers whether it's being trying to win a new customer or you have a customer who's not very happy with you you're negotiating a resolution in some way shape or form and the only way i got better at it was step was almost like playing sports where they tell you to just kind of step back and think how you want the game to go you know mm-hmm. picture in your head sort of how you're going to play and what's going to happen and and what are the different things that you're going to want to try and accomplish during the game. It's the same thing. I I had to step back and say, okay, we're going to be negotiating these six points today. What, what are the things I'm willing to give on at, and at what level, what are the things that I'm going to um, really need to stand strong on? You know, what do I expect the other guys to do on the other side of the table and, and spend that kind of time? We, you know, you get so comfortable when you're decent at things to just, just walk in the door and do it. You're just going to wing it. And and in this case, when you're not good at something, it's even more important for you to spend the time to, to extra time to prepare both writing things down and, and mentally, and then just being engaged. Just do it, just do it as much as you can take that thing that you're not comfortable with and do it as much as you possibly can. And eventually I, I once I got pretty good at it, I felt I got more comfortable with it. Uh, it's kind of fun to win when I talked about winning in the past. <laughs> You know, when you step out of it, you're like, all right, I got the four things I wanted and they feel like they got the things they wanted. So everyone's happy and I just won. I just beat that guy (laughs) or or lady, whoever it happens to be on their side. Yeah,
0: I like that. And I think that you're very right. That was something that I learned to do not just in business, but in therapy. Any given situation that you might be afraid of or anticipating, whether in a positive or a negative way, to play it all the way through to the end, both worst case scenario and best case scenario. And to then kind of leave it, you know, and and let your decisions based on be based on every possible outcome rather than that, you know, just first inclination, which may or may not be correct.
1: That's a great point, too, is that was the other thing is just stepping back and remembering, Okay, well, if this doesn't go as well as I want it to. The world's not going to end. The sky's yeah. still going to be blue in the morning if you right. live in San Diego. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's gonna. It, it's it's those sorts of things that you having that perspective helps. Yeah. You know, obviously, as the game gets more intense, and you're you know in a position like we are now, in, in running this company, um, you, you could have much more negative impacts that come out of it. But what I found is that if you're prepared, you're not going to lose on something um, so dramatic as well right you may not get that one thing you want to get and you might leave some money on the table or you might take a term that you might not have taken in the past but but if you've done done your diligence prepared yourself yeah maybe you didn't do as well as you wanted to but things are going to be okay
0: yeah and i like and i think this goes to the previous question about failure as long as you're learning from everything that you take that experience and you're able to shift your perspective and prepare differently the next time then nothing really is a loss
1: absolutely absolutely
0: so shifting a little bit more into the personal side of things uh, I wanted to ask what's the hardest thing that's ever happened to you and how did you overcome it
1: yeah so I guess about eight years ago in that range seven years ago my uh, my father died completely unexpectedly Um, my parents are very young and uh, so he he passed away before just around his 50th birthday Um, completely surprised no you know he wasn't sick or anything like that. It was just got the phone call that he had been rushed to the hospital. By the time I got off the plane, he had passed away. Basically, so it was a major shock to the to to me individually, but to the whole family and mm-hmm. the whole family structure. Um, you know, it's it's hard. Everyone goes through this, but I guess you know when you get through sort of the the typical kind of mourning and and those sorts sorts of things, it was is was a really really big change for you know, the roles within the family in a lot of ways. So it was, it was, um, that was really difficult. It was really difficult to kind of have to play a different role in the family. And each of us had to kind of adjust, you know, whether it be my mom, myself, or my sister, and kind of find our way through that process and, and kind of reorient as as a family. Um, so that was, that was probably the hardest time. It was in the middle of uh, a big growth in my career. So I was extremely busy and, um, ended up spending uh, a number of months, uh, about a month and a half living with my mom as she was kind of transitioning and dealing with things and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was a really, really hard time from that perspective. I think, you know, I overcame uh, from a few different things. I mean, one was just cause you have to, you don't really have a choice. That's a great right? point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you, know, like you said, I- the
0: sky will be blue tomorrow and yeah, there's an expectation that you'll be walking around and you'll get up. Yeah
1: yeah, what am I going to do otherwise? Right. That's right. no, it's very matter right. of fact, but it's, it, there's that aspect of things. I think having, um, uh, thinking about it from the perspective that I just mentioned, kind of, uh, having a great partner in my wife that I had somebody that I could talk about these sorts of things and, and do so in a way that was, um, that was a little bit more, uh, I guess have something that can bounce this off of an observational, right? So making right. that observation that, and having people say, well, you know what, this is, this is different. It's going to be different always. And we're going to have to figure out strategies to, to make things better. Um, you know, so that was, and then I had a great support structure within my job. You know, my company at the time, the people that I worked for and worked with, uh, amazingly supportive, right? They, they booked my flight to get out there, to, to get out there in time
0: oh, uh,
1: wow. to see my dad before he passed away. They, they, They had no problem with me living away from the office for more than a month. They, you know, there was never a question about my time. They knew that I was getting my work done regardless of the situation, um, but they weren't they weren't concerned. They were just supportive throughout the whole process. So, uh, you know, they played a really big role. And there's, um, you know, there's people there that I will always be loyal to. And Amit, is one of the other founders of the company, was a big part of that at the time as well. So, um, you know, those relationships will last a lifetime.
0: Yeah, you don't hear those types of stories every day. I really... I'm surprised in a very pleasant way that your company would do that for you. And I like what you said about your wife as well. It reminds me of an interview with Rob Bell and his wife. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But he was saying that in every partnership, if they're... Is not just conflict, but the most important question that you can always ask is, "What am I not seeing in this situation?" And I love how you talked about having a different set of eyes and someone else to give you a different perspective to help you negotiate and navigate those role changes that you were going through in your own family.
1: Yeah, oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. We we had a tough couple of years there, and uh, and wouldn't have made it through without her.
0: Yeah. So let me ask. Are, do you have any spiritual or personal beliefs that have impacted you? And, you know, what do you think uh, happens when we die? What is the bigger picture in your mind, if there is one?
1: Yeah, so, you know, i characterize myself as, as spiritual, probably not religious. Um, uh, institutional religion isn't something I've uh, been a big participant in. Uh, I played soccer on Sundays. so That was kind of what we did <laughs> instead of going to church as a kid. Um, so, yeah, but on the spirituality side of things, uh, I mean, to answer the question on what I think happens when we die, when I when I think about it, there's there's a nothing disappears in this world. Right. So right. if you think about from a, if you get scientific, there's a conservation of mass, you know, you never yep. nothing actually really goes away. It's all a big cycle. So I'd I'd have to imagine that, um, you know, when we die, we don't really go away, whether we whether we are reincarnated or or otherwise. I just I think there's enough. um there's enough in the metaphysical or in in the, you know, the, the conscious of of who we are that why would it disappear completely? Um, it may be rebranded, but it's not going, (laughs) it's not disappearing. Forever
0: the marketer there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I guess when I think about how does that affect me in, in what I do, I mean, I think the, the spiritual aspect is, is more, you know, more oriented towards how I deal with my people. Okay. And, and and things of that nature it's the, you know the karma side of things i i take calls from sales people even though i don't i don't want to buy something from them because i'm trying to sell things to people <laughs> and i want them to take my call so I, I believe in that as well you know the karma aspect and and i try to play by those rules to some degree so i think uh, i do believe that there's something more tying these things together and therefore i try to do good things and hope that that's going to happen for me too
0: I like that. I like that you brought in the scientific aspect because, you know, for me, I'm a lawyer and I used to be an actress. So I have both this left brain and right brain thing going on. And the more I study this, I just really don't think there's much of a difference between science and spirituality. And I feel as, as though we're proving that more and more every day.
1: Think about it. I mean, think about what these guys are talking about and the really high end science and, 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 you know, subatomic particles and, you know, it, this stuff is is pretty amazing and 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 complex and and there's something more tying this all together and they're hunting for that yeah but but it, it, those lines are blurring in, in a big way i think the the idea that um that science and spirituality can't exist together I or, think or the exist same. Is, is false yeah, yeah
0: i totally agree with you yeah so last big question so when do you feel the most free
1: being an engineer, it's when I'm writing, <laughs> in all honesty. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I had to put those things together, but I do. I, I feel really um, really free when I write, whether it be – and especially when I write our blog. I okay. I love writing blogs because it allows me to express myself with my voice, mm. uh, but it also allows me to go back and, and edit my voice and <laughs> – to make sure it, I said exactly what, what I that, wanted to say yeah. in that point of time.
0: <laughs> I love that; very cool.
1: It is. It's it's um it's more free form in that situation. Uh, you know, writing articles as well. I, I like that aspect. I tend to be less formal in, in my uh, in the way I write my articles when I'm trying to do that for, from a corporate perspective. So that whole aspect of things for me, I, I feel the most free. I mean, you have to be a little more guarded when you're speaking because. You you could say the wrong thing, or you could put something in the wrong way. Or if I write the wrong thing, or I write it in the wrong way, I can. There's a delete button, right? There's no longer an eraser, but there's a delete button, and I right. can go back and I can fix it. Uh, whereas if I'm speaking in public or I'm on a stage, it, you're a little bit less free, honestly. Which maybe it's counterintuitive, but but yeah, when I'm writing, I feel um, I feel uh, good, especially when you're when it's going, when it's flowing, it's it's
0: going. yeah. When the muse Somewhere is there. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it, and it comes out the right way and, and ideas are clicking and, you know, and all of a sudden you've written six pages and you don't know where it came from. Right. Um, so. Yeah.
0: I like that. And I like what you said about m- less formal because to me, less formal is more authentic. That's the translation. So, yeah, <laughs> that really resonates. Very cool. So last question. So how would our listeners connect with you? We will, of course, have the website on our page. Are you available on social media to connect with anyone who would like to speak to you about your journey and their own journey?
1: Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably the best way. And actually on my LinkedIn, my email address and stuff is up there. When when you're the sales and marketing person for a, a startup, you're pretty exposed. <laughs> yeah. The other way, I mean, honestly, if you are interested in, in what's going on with XLR and you want to follow the business, whether you're a San Diegan or, or you're in the telecom space, I'm the guy behind the curtain, so if you if you put contact and your name in there and things like that, it's really coming to me at the end of the day and you'll hear more about what we're doing. But the newsletter is usually written uh, in my voice or my colleagues' voices and things like that. So. Uh, But LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the best way to get in touch.
0: Great. Thank you, Todd, for being here today. This was a great conversation. I'm really grateful for your presence.
1: Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Who doesn't want to talk about
0: themselves? (laughs) (laughs) Good point. (laughs) And listeners, we are grateful for you as well. Thank you for joining us this week. Good night and Satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com, all rights
1: reserved.